There are plenty of theories out there in the psychedelic community about the entities that we encounter within the experience, if they are real, what their origin is, and what they can do. Also what their intention is towards us as visitors. Now I've certainly got my own opinion on all of this, which I've covered in previous videos, but I recently saw a post online from Julian Palmer, who most people know as a person who invented and popularized the smokable form of DMT called Changa. I've talked about that with him in a previous video, which I'll link to up there somewhere. Now Julian is an accomplished psychonaut and facilitator, and he's one of the main spokespersons for psychedelics in his native Australia, which has led to being featured in many articles and TV shows. In this video, Julian and I do a deep dive into this topic of entities. And as you'll hear, we have some different opinions about what's going on, but it's a really great conversation. And I think there's a lot of value in hearing different perspectives from fellow travelers, especially ones as experienced as Julian. I thoroughly enjoyed having this chat with him and I hope you'll enjoy it too. So without any further ado, I bring you Julian Palmer. I, mean, I know you've been like fairly busy lately doing some TV appearances, how did that go? Yeah, they edited a lot out. Um, I'm, I've got the ABC also filming a, a, a cactus walk soon. Right. So they're coming along. Um, but they wanted to film an ayahuasca group. Both of them wanted to film an ayahuasca group. And I've done already done that once. And I had a radio guy from ABC come along a couple of years ago. So I was like, no, no more of that. And it was just as well because I had a guy, I had a couple of people misbehave and one guy bite me on the arm. <laughs> Jesus. What, what, what kind of angle were they coming from? Was, was it kind of like a, were they like genuinely interested in the iOS group or always like, look at what these crazy nutcases are doing? In Australia, they seem to be genuinely interested. You oh, know? Cool. Uh, and I, I'm pretty much the only one crazy enough <laughs> in the underground to say, hey, come and come and look at me. Come and see what I'm doing. Um, all the rest of them are very hush hush about yeah. it all. But um, yeah, no, they're really quite curious and they're generally quite good journalists. So um, I have got a fair bit of media appearance. And so in Australia, we have a fairly good uh, public understanding of psychedelics. There's lots of, you probably oh, have I'm surprised. That. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think my, my, my like kind of the outside perception of kind of Australia is that you, like, it's, it's always, I think it's seen as like a country that's like quite strict and conservative on stuff like drugs. But is, is that not the case or is it just that attitudes have changed? Yeah. No, it's Australia is a very complex, nuanced culture. Mm. Um, you know, where you have people who have a public face, they might appear to be strict, but behind doors they are very loose and casual. So mm. that's that will kind that Australian culture is very like that. It's like we do things by the book here, and that's our public face, but. <laughs> because the book is so uh, difficult to accord to because British colonialism was so strict. Mm. Uh, it was almost impossible to get anything done or do anything in that paradigm. And so you had the uh, phenomena of the larrikin was born. And the larrikin is the one who broke all the rules in Australian culture. So okay. even the prime minister called Australia's richest, richest man, Kerry Packer, a gentleman and a larrikin. 
<laughs> I've never heard, come across that word before. I'll have to, no, I'll have to no, start. and it, 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 it's a compliment. So, and that would be the highest uh, compliment to be given an Australian man. So it's like, wait on, you're a gentleman and you're a hoodlum at the same time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. It's almost dead the larrikin. So I'm trying to be. I'm trying to enact the one who's breaking the rules and trying mm -hmm. to get it done. So you have some sort of respect within Australian culture if you're someone who's actually, you know, getting things done because colonialism, uh, you know, it's like scratching your ass is illegal in Australia. You know, this, this it's very bureaucratic. Well, I think maybe, I think that's that seems to be like the kind of the sign of the times at the moment. There does seem to be a lot more tolerance and sort of uh, interest in people who do that i mean I, you know not to go into like you know crazy political tangents but I, I think that was a lot of the kind of the attraction to some of these like politicians like donald trump or even people like elon musk they're seen as like the kind of like the the troublemakers who will get stuff done whether that's actually true or not is a different story but that's mm. i think that's the how they're perceived and that's why they kind of people are, are gravitate towards um maybe it's just because they're so bored of, of this kind of the current systems that you just need someone to shake things up a bit. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a bit like that. <laughs> yeah, so people, so the media quite likes me. You know, I've got uh, I got some media love, and my all my parents' friends see me on the TV, and they think it's cool and interesting. And uh, so yeah, in Australia, yeah, there is that really straight mentality, but it is changing, and people because people are seeing that hey, psychedelics do work to treat. PTSD and depression, and then you have all these people who are actually getting results and finding great value in, mm. in, in the psychedelic state. So, yeah, you have a little bit of a mini revolution in Australia with people, you know, microdosing mushrooms and taking psychedelics. But you know, of course, it's it's a little bit messy because it's uh, so many new people coming into the space who might not know what they're doing. So at this point, I'm a little bit like trying to communicate at the same time as not trying to, you know, shoot the horse mm -hmm. is, uh, hey, we've got to be really careful because we don't really know what we're doing in the West related to psychedelics. You know, this is very new to us. And we should we should proceed with a great deal of caution and uh, wariness. And uh, uh, you know these are very powerful substances. Yes, yeah, so I think that's that's kind of a good segue into the kind of the the reason we set up this conversation because I think it's 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 one thing to have kind of like psychedelics in in the media, and I think you know the fact that even these things have been talked about is cool. But what we kind of really wanted to talk about today was some stuff that I think is pretty pretty far out. I think for even even for people within the psychedelic community and just to give a bit of background uh, to the audience um we're sort of members of a few you know kind of the same kind of online uh, communities and you made a, a kind of a, a post on one of these facebook groups which i found really interesting because it was clearly something you had a lot of passion about and um yeah i'll, I'll just try and briefly paraphrase it and then we can sort of get into it and really unpack it so um again just as a very simplification of it well, the topic was around um the kind of the infamous entities which are sort of reported as, as you know people encounter within these sort of the psychedelic space and i, I believe or your belief uh, as i can understand it is that um, you see that, that there's a lot of these that are um first of these are 
for want of a better word, like real external etheric beings, uh, some of which that have kind of like a malicious intent towards us as human beings. And it's this kind of influence that they are having as we kind of ingress into their realm uh, that is given like an increase in things like trauma, abuse, like the general state of disconnect, spiritual disconnect in modern society. And I think the problem that you're seeing, which I think you just kind of touched on there, is that this is something that's being ignored and that science and academia are like completely dismissing these claims. And that means that the people who are exploring the sort of psychedelic realms are often just completely unaware that these things exist, which kind of leaves them free to a kind of like usual suspects kind of scenario, like Kaiser Soze, the, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled to convince people that it doesn't exist. So I, I said, I, it was quite a long post. I thought it was a, a fascinating take because it was very, very different to my own perspective. And I wanted to sort of have the opportunity to talk about this because first of all, I enjoyed talking to you. And also just to challenge my own ideas because I, I would say I probably am more on the skeptical side and I lean more towards like a kind of psychological basis for these kind of phenomena rather than inter, interdimensional. But I really want to, like I said, I'm, really want to like get into it and sort of pick your brains and like a good faith discussion so yep. just for the sure. audience this is not like a sort of debate or a gotcha no or no, like that. no no let's just have too... a fr friendly talk around the skype campfire exactly mate exactly so i mean i mean like, first of all is that like a what i've just paraphrased or is that like a fair description of what you think's going on and feel free to just expand on it yeah yeah thereabouts i think it's very difficult to talk about this subject matter because most people in our society have no idea what you're talking about. And, mm. um, you know, they, they say, what do you mean, Ghostbusters or something like that? People don't really know. And I think the dialogue is a little bit immature in the West. Mm. Um, the dialogue in Australia is a lot more mature than it is in Europe. Okay. Uh, I think that's because we've had a lot of DMT in the country for a lot longer. So since the early 90s, um, there's been a fair amount. In the early 90s, if you're a sort of relatively conscious person mm. and you wanted to get DMT, you could do it, you know, whereas that probably, that only really happened in America and Europe in the late 90s or even sometime in the noughties, you know. So in Australia, we've had much more of a dialogue related to the entities that people encounter when they're smoking DMT, for example. Mm -hmm. So I'd say what I hear when people talk about the machine elves, uh, the interesting thing when I first started giving DMT to people, um, in starting year 2000 was I didn't, no one saw any machine elves, you know. Mm. They were regularly seeing entities, but there was just this huge range and diversity and a lot of it was just stuff that I'd never, you know, stuff similar to the sort of things that I was seeing. There was just many different species of beings and the mm -hmm. people were generally experiencing them, like Rick Strassman said in the DMT Spirit Molecule book, they would say, well, yeah, these were real entities that I met, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that was the common experience. So I think the dialogue in Australia is a bit, more, a bit less theoretical and a bit more practical. 
I filmed a docu-series a few years ago and I tried to find someone to who would say that entities don't exist. And I only really know one person or found one person who could present that case because pretty mm. much everyone in Australia that I know is either, yep, well, they exist, of course, they do, we all see them and uh, see them together sometimes. And all there's other people who are like, well, little bits that are sitting on the fence, you know, but very few people have this perspective. Definitely not, no way. That's mm -hmm. just ridiculous. What are you talking about, you know? So what would you, when you... Just to kind of like unpack the, the you know the Ghostbusters X kind of you know thing, like so what is it that when you're talking about entities like what, how would you describe them? Are, are we talking about psychological um, sort of archetypes? Or are we talking about sort of interdimensional beings? Are we, are we just talking about something we, we just don't know? But it's are we, are we talking about something say natural, like in the way that say like uh, South American shamanism talks around like sort of the, you know, the, the, the kind of plant spirits so, or something still like kind of yeah. material. So how would you? Yeah, well, I mean, so I facilitate ayahuasca as well. So for me, when we talk about plant spirits, uh, that's something that most people report, you know, they might not experience with ayahuasca visitations from entities or beings that as commonly as say smoke DMT, but people will will very, very commonly communicate with the ayahuasca spirit or mm. an acacia spirit. And it won't just be, you know, rambly nonsense. It will be stuff that people need to hear. You know, mm. it will be it will be very cogent, incisive information that will help them with their awareness and their consciousness of themselves. So, um, yeah, I, it related to how I would define the entities themselves. Um, I use the word etheric um, mm. to describe them, and the etheric level of existence seems to me to be one that has an affinity with the physical dimension. And I'd say my limited cosmology that the 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 realm beyond the etheric is the astral. Um, okay. And so beyond that, you know, I don't I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to tell you. But the the etheric seems to have the ability to uh, have a relationship with the physical. So uh, a lot of the entities that you might meet um, in the tryptamine space especially often will be doing work with you. They might be doing some kind of surgery with you. They might be pulling a chip out mm. or taking something out or they might be doing some sort of spiritual surgery with you. Um, so, yeah, I, does that kind of explain a little bit? Yeah, I think so. So if, if my kind of understanding is right, that you're kind of seeing this as um, 
some kind of other other realm and that there is a kind of a medium which we, which we could say is like psychedelic yeah, in this case yeah. which through which they they are kind of ingressing or or, yeah. or we are ingressing but there's a kind of a crossover point an overlapping between two yeah, spaces yeah there seems to be an etheric dimension which is closely tied into this dimension like it's actually not separate from this realm in mm. fact, it's very, I would say the etheric dimension is very closely, intimately tied into this realm. Um, and it's not like a dimension that you can go into and it has its own world. It seems to be one which exists, uh, corresponds to this world. And the thing is with these entities is, I, in my view, when you take psychedelics, you take tryptamines, you are... Uh, uh, able to process a lot more information in your brain. Your brain, you know, I subscribe to the view that DMT is a super neurotransmitter, so that you're actually um, transmitting a lot more information through yep. your brain, and it seems to open up your third eye, so you're able to see what's already there, you know, whereas the traditional psychiatric view is that what you're seeing under the influence of psychedelics is a hallucination that it's yeah, coming yeah. from your brain and you're projecting it from yourself out, out there somehow. And it's simply a kind of manifestation of your psyche. Uh, I won't go into my understanding of that too much because I think it's a bit long winded, but you know, from my perspective, that doesn't really make any sense because why does the psyche want to manifest as this vast ecology of intelligence and communication, which it doesn't, you know, the interesting thing about it too is that sure. a lot of it does communicate a sense of non-duality. A lot mm -hmm. of it does say in the ultimate sense, you know, I, you know, in Lakesh, I am another part of you. But it doesn't say it is you exactly. It doesn't say I am mm. being projected from your psyche or your brain. You know, there's a definite sense of otherness or uh, a sense of distinct beingness, which is uh, apart from the human consciousness. So um, yeah. it's. I, I find it difficult to... I find it difficult to understand the rationale behind that viewpoint because in a logical sense like Occam's razor would say that the simplest most elegant explanation um, should is is the one that is true and in this instance it might seem far out from our perspective but if you think about it in the terms of um, consciousness itself in terms of understanding and like that consciousness is expansive and there's many facets and aspects and wavelengths and dimensions and colors and that that it, it, it makes sense that the sentient life forms within that that you can communicate with it seems very logical to me mm -hmm. yeah. i think i think my my take i i I tend to gravitate towards uh, a lot of the kind of the, like the South American shamanism. That's just where I kind of 
been for a lot of my like ayahuasca experiences and i think the the kind of the how it was explained to me there is is that they seem to see it as like the what they refer to as like the spirits are like inhabiting the plant so it's like a you have this consciousness that is there within the plant and then you sort of you take this plant into in some form like either ayahuasca or some other kind of medicine and so then you're literally like ingesting the plant consciousness and that is what is merging with your consciousness and thus like kind of giving the the feels of you know the, the typical one like mother ayahuasca presents itself on ayahuasca you know that like a different kind of spirit presents itself on mescaline and so this idea of like that consciousness is somehow being distilled down into sort of medicinal form and then being consumed which is then merging with your own consciousness and i and i think i i, I would agree what you're saying around the different kind of colors of the kind of the human landscape in that you know i think we have our day-to-day material experience i think we have a there is a dream you know a dream realm there is an emotional realm there is a psychological realm all, all these different things which are kind of feeding us inputs at different different moments when we're kind of receptive to them and then we have this these certain substances which kind of like merge all these things into this new experience and and then kind of along with this kind of like this this other consciousness this plant consciousness containing all this wisdom something that's been around for a long time in a networked way and sort of all these things and that that kind of merging is, is what is giving us that experience so i think that to me difficult like to the occam's razor sort of thing that that to me seems more um i don't know i, I can package that up more and more easily than the the, yeah. the, the idea of of um a kind of a, a pantheon or for what fonts a better word of of different uh entities that are sort of coming in because i i i mean it's just just my own personal experience i i i've never really had much of a difference of these entities it, they always seems fairly consistent to me but it, uh, do you have the kind of the experience of, of different things coming through even on the within the same substance like i, I, yeah. I get that there, there is some there's definitely some wiggle room but it, it's it, there's still like there's always like an ayahuasca theme or a mescaline theme or a mushroom right, theme right well i think uh like uh, what you're describing the the with the ayahuasca spirit merging with the human form and you know you're having that intimate dialogue with the ayahuasca spirit i mean that sounds um like a classic uh experience that you have and i think a lot of the amazonian shamanism is very much related to having that deep and powerful connection to that plant spirit mm. but i think um what i'm talking about is is that and okay. the uh, the other entities that can come through in that space um i mean ayahuasca i mean it really depends on the space that you're in and the facilitator that you're with mm. and i think in a purely psychological context when you're having that communion with the ayahuasca you're able to do that psychological work and that healing work with the ayahuasca in many respects, you don't want to be distracted by all the hyperdimensional critters out there, you know. And it may well be that the the curandero, he or she may well uh, block off 
any entities from coming into the space. So they really sure. have quite a tight ship very often. Uh, when I've drunk many years ago in the Amazon, sometimes it, the ship is very tight and yeah. you don't necessarily experience much beyond the, the bubble, as it were. So, yeah, I mean, especially with the, 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 the smoke DMT. But when I first drank, I would drink alone and I would be <laughs> drinking Syrian rue and acacia and... Mm -hmm. In the early days, I would be going into these different worlds and experiencing hundreds and hundreds of beings in one session. It was just mm -hmm. amazing. And I probably should have written down a lot more than I did because it was so interesting. Um, but, you know, I do remember some of it, but it was overwhelming. And mm. it's not like that for me now because... Um, you know, it was almost like an introduction to the space. It was introduction to the reality. And I used to say that it took me till the 667th being for me to give up my rational being brain and just accept it for what it was because mm -hmm. it was very hard for me just to come to terms with it and to, to stop protesting, to just let the mind go and accept it for what it was, um, how it did present itself to me as, uh, how, how, how it did appear to be. So, yeah, yeah I think, you know, we, we do have this, this um, I think it's quite a Western tendency, um, this uh, European uh, rational thinking Whereas in many cultures, for example, even in Brazil, where, you know, I remember being in Brazil and talking to people and saying a lot of people in Australia didn't believe in spirits. And they were like, everyone in Brazil believes in spirits. Like, they're very spiritual, religious mm -hmm. people, you know, and they've got many different sort of traditions and practices in the ayahuasca world and otherwise related to an understanding of spiritual beings. So... You know, I think, yeah, it definitely was for me uh, uh, a matter of just surrendering to what I was experiencing. And these days when I drink ayahuasca, I don't have that same, I don't necessarily taken to all these dimensions and shown the same things. It mm. can be, but... It's very much different now. Nowadays, I go into battles with these entities and I'm killing them. Yeah, so I want to I want to come back to that one. We'll, we'll circle back around uh, to that because I think that's a fascinating topic itself. But I would just just on that, what you said, I, I, I would I would agree with. Uh, yeah, I've had similar experiences, particularly in regard to say like yeah, vaped DMT versus something like ayahuasca, because I think vaped DMT instantly for me goes very. Uh, kind of wide out there, cosmic, just just incredible narratives, usually like populated by what seems to be millions of beings, but always at a distance. It's never it's never quite as intimate as as the kind of the relationship you have when with something like mm. where you're having with something like ayahuasca. It seems much more one on one. But I just wanted wanted to uh, just again still unpack with the thing. So with, with the with the entities that you're talking about, because I think with a lot of um, sort of like you know psychedelic circle stuff, a, a lot of the um, 
what's being described is that it's the entities that are kind of coming through doing the healing. So it's, it's you know, people often talk about being picked apart by, you know, and reassembled by these kind of entities to feel it in the bodies. And with what you're talking around with the kind of the, what sounds like a more kind of malicious intent, I was just saying, I was just wondering, do you think these things are coming from the same space then? Is, is the healing and the sort of the uh, maliciousness, is, is, is this the same thing or is, is this different realms in, in your opinion? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think also the Western mind has a big difficulty with ascribing just going into this basic duality of mm. like, well, this is a good one, this is a bad one. And but I think it's very simple. I think some of these entities are basically parasites. They're mm -hmm. coming to feed off the human energy field. And the ones who are good, they're actually helping. They're healing. They're they're doing something really powerful. I mean, I've had some quite extraordinary experiences like these beings coming down and putting swords into my heart. And, you know, uh, and then pulling out, pulling out my heart, uh, my old heart, and then putting a new one back in, you know. And uh -huh. it's just very, very vivid. This is almost 20 years ago I had this one. Very mm -hmm. vivid and beautiful and majestic and uh, uh, something very, what would you call it, Mm, something very solid in in how they are, yeah. So I had many different experiences um, like that. I mean, I had one um, midway through last year where I was actually kind of in a, you know, battle with various beings and um, these two women appeared just right next to me they, they like cozy right next to me, like they came up, they didn't hesitate. Whereas the ones who are not good, they're literally creepy, you know. Mm -hmm. I think there's a reason we have that word. They're creepy because they're hesitant. And they're, try, they're generally often trying to look good. They're trying to present an impression that they're good or they're positive. And it's, you know, of course they do come towards you and just straight up. But in this instance, the ones, these two women, they assumed an intimacy with me. So what they were just hanging, they was lying right next to me. And so they already were my friends, you know. Mm -hmm. And so what they, what I saw them proceed to do, I did not understand. But they have these tubes and um, it's like they were taking my blood and putting it into a machine and, like, doing a readout on it. And there's at one point at which <clears throat> you had to clamp one of the tubes and another one of the tubes, some of the blood came out and she got some of the blood on my hands, you know. And it's like, I have no idea what this is about or why this is happening, except I'm presuming that this is good for me, that there's some mm -hmm. medical checkup. They literally look like nurses. They weren't in uniforms at any time. But I've had other experiences where the beings who are working on you, they do look like nurses in, in, in a sense. And you can see that they're doing a job. And you just got to wonder who's paying them. You know, you got to wonder <laughs> who they... Do they, what do they do after work? Where do they go after work? You know, how it's does it go from their perspective? 
I had a, I had a quite a similar experience recently, although it was more of I was um, calling like a kind of interdimensional help desk, uh, and there was like a call center who was like sort of dealing with like as my brain was like trying to be rebooted and was trying to make sense of things like okay yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll and these were like sort of like almost like IT technicians which I guess kind of maps onto me because I, I work in IT so that's that's how I was you know perceiving it but it was yeah like a, there was a group of IT tech nerds kind of like looking in like made like matrix style like rebooting my brain but it's interesting with with, with your because that scenario you just described even though you were kind of at peace with what was happening it does have the sound of a kind of a parasitic nature and i appreciate this is the other you're talking about the good side here yeah but yeah is, is, is this not tying into where i'm coming at from here is that I'll, um, i get i'm sure you probably get them too a lot of messages from uh, very fundamental religious people telling me that I'm sort of dealing with forces completely beyond my control. And this, is, this is all, this is all, all Satan, but they're just tricking you. I never get any, I never get any hate mail, Rob. Like, oh. I, I, I think people are scared of me. I never get any. Like, how many? Maybe you do a better job of hiding your email address than I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, does that not? Is there any concerns that that, that perhaps you are being tricked? You know, there is a sort of a certain parasitic feel to this. All of, oh, of no, like, I could tell right away that they were good and they were doing good things. And um, I, I, I tend to find, you know, there is an element, like I said, where they are trying to trick you to get close into you. And the same night I had an experience of a being who I kind of let too closely into my field and it it really they do really come for you in that space because um, I think the other thing that I wanted to mention and I think is quite clear to a lot of people say taking ayahuasca or taking psychedelics is when you do you are opening up these doorways these portals to the spirit world so um, when you do when you do take psychedelics you open yourself up and they can have an easier access to you when you do take the psychedelics so yeah no generally generally these days my discernment that's been the key word um mm -hmm. and i think it's more a really gut feeling and having the experience to know which uh which energies are parasitic in nature and which are not. And mm -hmm. I find, you know, a lot of people don't have very good discernment um, because it needs to be at a gut level because often you're deceived with what you're seeing with your eyes and what the symbols and identities that are being presented to you uh there are many people there are many people who are trying to deceive deceive us in our daily life as well and it's not like the bad people in our lives quote unquote bad people they don't they don't come along and say hey you know i'm i'm going to screw you over mm -hmm. you know the psychopaths and sociopaths are often very charming and they try that's how they get their get get close to you and to protect yourself from psychopaths and sociopaths, you need to have a gut feeling about people and be able to be aware. And so it works similarly in 
the metaphysical realm, you know, you need to be aware that, um, you know, that often it's just, you got to watch out for the surfaces, which might appear quite beautiful or presentable or seductive on some level, but behind that, there are these agendas and, uh, um, it's it's not nice. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it ties back into what you were saying earlier as well, because about this kind of this this act of surrender, because that really I think what 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 a lot of us are trying to do with these experiences, kind of reconnect with ourselves as as like human beings. But we've got all these kind of layers that have been stacked on top of like, and I think you kind of refer to this as as kind of like the, you know the the you know being too rational, being too in our own heads. Yeah. And so when people are having these experiences, they're kind of like not sure how they think about this not sure how they are supposed to think about this is is this um i you know am i safe is this is, is this and it's it's kind of very in the heads where i think a lot of it you, you kind of really need to do this kind of it's a very overused word but there's no better word like surrender to it's like okay this is let's let's go with this and trust this kind of like gut feeling yeah uh, but i think a lot of people uh, struggle with that, but I just wanted to to, to come round back to the kind of like the the thing on the uh, the the healing or the kind of the, the malicious intent coming uh, from the uh, the entities, because I I was my kind of thought on that, um, or you know as I or my take on it as I've as I've been sort of working it through, is that because I lean more to the, to the, to the angle that this is something that's going on like internally or like psychologically. So there, if there is some kind of trauma that I'm suffering and I'm trying to resolve it, that I'm inviting in this kind of like, you know, this, uh, this, this consciousness, this plant spirit as a, as a kind of, a, you know, an advisor basically to, to give me a perspective I cannot reach myself, but then I'm the one who is kind of resolving this. You know, I, you know, this is a typical ayahuasca experience is that you relive some of these events and you kind of through that reliving them you get to sort of reframe them and sort of resolve them and sort of come to some sort of understanding but i was not sure, like, like i always had the the personal feeling that if that was something that was happening externally it, f- it feels kind of like cheap and sort of unearned like if that was if it's just if if like the portal opens and the, and the, the the entity appears and just kind of zaps me with with healing then I don't know. That seems to take away the kind of the work, the personal work element, or the kind of the personal agency. And I was wondering what your thoughts on that. Yeah, I know. There's a famous uh, Jung quote: "Quote, uh, beware of unearned wisdom." And uh, I, I don't buy that at all. You know, I think that whenever I've experienced that. Um, you know, you, you certainly can have these experiences of these beings who can present some powerful healing energies uh, mm-hmm. to you. What I find then is that there can often be a healing crisis because you might have been exposed to a deeper level of purity and a greater awareness, a greater consciousness somehow. And what you will experience then is a purging of that which is not aligned with a higher conscious intent so that can be quite intense and it's Mm. certainly not easy i mean ayahuasca itself is like that you take the ayahuasca and you know you see the geometric patterns which 
uh, the mathematical representation of um, uh, how how life is uh, communicating with the human, and you're experiencing these colors. You're experiencing a purity of information. You're experiencing greater wisdom, and then all of the shit, all of the stupidity, all of the stuff that is not aligned with who you really want to be. You have to let go of that. You have to mm. process that. It's not easy to do that. It's really hard. It's not. It's not a walk in the park. So I don't see any of that as unearned. I think it can be a real slog. I mean, mm. I'm always very, whenever I encounter a really pure, powerful, deep space in myself, make a little note to myself, okay, watch out because now I'm going to have to let go of a lot that's not aligned with these high, it's like quote unquote higher principles or awareness, you know? Yes. So yeah, I, I don't know if, I think it would be great if everyone gets got zapped by these higher dimensional beings all the time, but it doesn't necessarily work like that. I think that ayahuasca is a slog. It's a slog for everyone. It's hard work. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it's all earned, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's maybe my my ego speaking. I I want to have the credit for all of it, so <laughs> maybe that maybe that's something I need to work on. But I want to, if we could uh, circle back round then to something we just touched on, like in, uh, near the beginning. So when when these um, entities sort of make themselves present, and if for, you know, for the gut feeling is that these are. Uh, negative beings that you kind of they're intruding upon your experience so yeah if you could sort of go into some of the details on because I, I you've got methods uh which you by which you i think the, the freight language actually is that you kill these yeah uh, these things yeah so do you want to sort of go, go into some detail on that for us yeah well there's a technique i call torping that uh i actually heard about first in year 2000 and a friend his wife was playing uh, talks from these walk-ins. I don't know if you've heard about walk-ins before. I've heard about walkabouts. Is, no, is, is, no. What's walking? So, so the walk-ins are these beings who they they want to exist on Earth mm -hmm. as in full memory of who they really are. So what they do is they find someone who's a complete derelict. So, so is this someone who's, who's already died? Is this a dead human? No, then? no. This is a higher interdimensional being, right? Okay. So a higher dimensional being wants to come to Earth, incarnate, but they don't want to forget who they are by going through the birth canal and growing up. And they want to have full remembrance because they say they want to teach uh, important information to people on Earth, right? Okay. So what they do, this is what they say they do. They say they find on the astral level a person who is whose life is just completely terrible, who's just unemployed, no hope at all, really sick. And they say, look, we'll cut you a sweet deal in the astral if you give us your body and we'll take <laughs> over your body. And so Joe, who's completely complete loser, everyone is like, Joe's just complete 
is just life is a mess, you know, is is just a waste of space. Suddenly, Joe becomes Zarkon from the 87th dimension, starts <laughs> teaching people spirituality and cosmic consciousness, right? So this is a literal phenomena that happened, especially in the 80s. And so all these walk-ins, they converged mm. in Sedona in Arizona and started they built a little community and they gave all these talks. And so my friend was playing these talks, which are very entertaining. You can only, you can only buy them. They're very expensive online. The tapes, you know, someone got the rights and you can buy a lot of these tapes. But anyway, I heard about this technique called boogie busting, where they use sound to, to break up like fifth dimensional entities they call boogies. And I heard about this and I didn't think that much of it. But it was only in probably 2013 that um, I had during a, I had an experience with a, a big black spider come towards me. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a bit, what am I going to do? And the sound just came out of me, like the boogie busting sound. It just went, <laughs> and I kept doing it. And so the spider, the big spider was like a few feet across. It just died, melted in front of me and was very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first experience of, you know, making this sound. And then I think it took me maybe three years to give it a name because um, it just did. It was just that, that sound that I made. And I started calling it torping. And then over the years, I've got better and better at it. And now mm -hmm. I can do machine gun torping, which is like this. <laughs> which means that I can kill anything, really. And back in the early days when I couldn't do that, um, I remember one distinct experience in Norway where I was completely overcome. And, you know, it's like... It's like um, you become temporarily possessed. You get taken, mm. you become insane and you feel like you're going to die and you have all these thoughts which are not your own and you feel like you're being bullied from within. And um, it's absolutely horrible. So that's what happened when I, uh, that's what led me to develop machine gun talking. But um Actually, I had to develop Sopla, which is this um, blowing technique. I didn't develop it. It's what they've been doing in the Amazon for uh, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years. It's this uh, shh, shh, yeah, shh, yeah. that blowing that they do. And you might hear people in ayahuasca groups trying to be really cool. They're like, shh, shh, you know, as if it's like a sort of... Uh, you know, a sonic accessory, but actually mm -hmm. what you're doing then is blowing the entities and they don't like that. And mm -hmm. you can kill them by doing that, but generally you're, push, you're, you're pushing them away. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so, yeah, Sopla works really well. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly, certainly familiar with the with the Sopla one. Uh, it's, yeah, so it's very common for uh, shamans to do that. I think they even do it over like the bottles of ayahuasca to sort of like do 
you know clear clear anything away from from the from the the bottles themselves and then yep. I've, I've had in ceremonies where they kind of kind of come and do it over your over your head to sort of like clear particularly if someone's having a very challenging experience yeah but uh, yep. so but it, it's just just to because those were kind of words you done is this would you say that what happens then like if you hadn't um kind of push back this this spider entity uh and is this what you would kind of a commonly associate with like with demonic possession then is that what you think is is going on there that one of these yeah. beings is taking over and then that's you know the, the, what's when people are sort of writhing around and people are saying i'm possessed is that what you think's going on there well i tell you what just after i was on tv i was i was um sent video people are reaching out to me because they're really desperate and I got sent videos of this woman who's got this, I never heard of it, called a movement disorder. I didn't even know it exists. She cannot stop moving. Her whole body is contorting all the time. Mm. And she can't sleep at all. Like, she sleeps an hour a night, maybe. And I was like, wow, okay, this is classic uh, possession of some kind. And... I think the more understanding I have, I think that I've been thinking recently that perhaps chronic fatigue syndrome is a kind of entity possession. Um, you know, people might have a pain like uh, chronic cluster headaches I consider to be entity um, attachments. Um, mm. And the more more I understand about what kind of suffering people are going through in their lives, I, I, I see that people are getting attacked um, by these entities. How, how, how does that end? Because I'm taking that all these people are taking psychedelics then. So how, no, how, no, how, no. No, the woman who had the, the, the movement disorder, she's never taken psychedelics. Um, so what's when, the entry point then the, for, for her? Like point for her was when she was in the mental hospital, she told me. Um, and I think mental hospitals are places where uh, you, you are encountering a lot of these, uh, a lot of what we call mental illness is I would call very much uh, often is entity attacks or entity attachments. In Brazil, they have the Spiritus Mental Church, and they have dozens of mental hospitals where before you even enter the, the hospital, the nurses and psychiatrists will practice spirit depossession upon you so they can begin to treat you, which is so far advanced of anything we're doing in the West, you know. But I yeah. think that really goes to show, yeah, sure, there are a lot of people out there who have this understanding. It's just that our overall society is, is, is not, not often wanting or willing to understand. And I'd say a lot of that is because of the influence of the entities themselves. It's like, uh, you know, Satan doesn't want us to realise that that he exists, you know. Well, there was another point you mentioned in that kind of post you made where you, you're talking around um, that, well, first of all, that people aren't talking about the, the kind of stuff we're talking about here. But also, I think you, you sort of suggested that there are people who are deliberately not talking about it, even despite, in your opinion, having knowledge of it. And I think that, you know, the term used here was like kind of, uh, like spiritual bypassing, in, or, or whereby people are only wanting to talk about the light stuff, uh, you know, the sort of the, the the happy 
Rainbow, rainbows and unicorns. Oh yes, yes. Aspect. I think I was talking about Barbara and Brennan. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, have you come across her books at all? Uh, no, I've not. I, I only from the reference. I went and briefly looked her up to see who she was, but no, I've not. I've not ex, not much experience for a poster book. Yeah. But feel free to, if you, if you want to so give. Some... I came across her books when I was eighteen. They were written in the late eighties and nineteen ninety three. They're actually spiritual healing um, guidebooks. And uh, they're absolutely fascinating because what you're reading is designed to be a textbook for spiritual healers. So when I was 18 and I first came across these books, it's just, for me, it's utter science fiction. But my viewpoint is like, how could she be making this up? It doesn't make any sense, you know. It was it was very difficult for me to comprehend. But absolutely astounding books, Light Emerging and Hands of Light. Uh, she was a NASA scientist who became a spiritual healer. So she very much tried to maintain, maintain a scientific viewpoint and she wanted to maintain credibility and mm. so that her work, the spiritual healing work, was integrated within American society. And in that case, then it's very difficult to begin to mention the the quote-unquote dark side. So she recently um, wrote another book called, I think it's called Core Light Healing, where she begins to admit, hey, look, there is actually um, a dark side uh, uh, and because previously I think she was wanting, you know, this is the whole new age mentality that it's all love, light and rainbows and, you know, farting unicorns and there's no, there's no dark side. It's all good. Right. Mm-hmm. But that attitude of it's all good and it's all rainbows and all unicorns. That's a very spiritually, it's a very naive position that could really lead you into you know, becoming like Bambi's mum, and uh, it's it's not a healthy position to have. We've got to have awareness of what's actually happening and, you know, what we don't even have a very good language. We call it dark, you know. It's like Mm. not really dark. It's more like horrific, (laughs) you know. But are you are you of the opinion that that there's there are other people out there? Because I, I think there was a number of people you mentioned in in this post. Because I, I, I think the actual the original post itself was commenting on a on a panel that had happened. Oh yeah, and, right, right, yep, yep. And so, so do, do you? I'm just wondering, like, because obviously clearly there's there's a skeptical point of view where there's people are just saying. <laughs> crazy crazy person showed up, you know. But and then but then the I think what you were suggesting is that there's actually. Um, more of a, a kind of like, look, the, the, we know about this, but we're not going to talk about this, which I think is probably what comes into uh, the person yes, just mentioned. Yes, well, uh, well just, but, Do you think there's more of this? Like, in, in, oh, out, uh, yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of this. I think she, like Barbara Ann Brennan, she wrote in, she said in an article in New Age Journal, more place mm. in the 80s, I think, she said she didn't want to mention a lot of things because she didn't want to scare people, you know. And uh, I think... Also, it's just so far beyond the typical person's understanding. We don't have frameworks within the West for understanding this sort of thing. But I think, you know, in many other cultures, they do, or at Mm -hmm. least the shaman in the culture understands how to deal with and address and uh, communicate and dialogue with these things. But in the West... We only have like 
schlocky movies like Ghostbusters and horror movies and so on. But I think it's interesting, you know, it's like this woman with this movement disorder. She was in utterly hell. She's utterly I, I hell. I can imagine, yeah. You know, and I, I had an experience myself where I came down with an attack of cluster headaches uh, when I was in a run. And I understood that as a spiritual attack. And it mm. took me a few weeks to be able to clear it. And if I didn't know how to clear it, and I myself, even though knowing what I know and I saw it happen, I myself was so captured by the overall experience, inoculated into ignorance, that I didn't even know it was happening. I had to just sit down and feel the pain enough to wake myself up. You know, it's like they call cluster headaches, suicide headaches. You're mm. just running around, running around like Homer Simpson crashing into walls. It's absolutely horrific. And what you're actually experiencing is kind of being eaten from within side by these entities. And uh, and that's what it feels like, too. It fe it's absolutely horrific. And I think that there's a lot going on within our society that I, I, I would hope in my understanding that things that we don't understand in our present day are serious medical conditions like cluster headaches, uh, I think very often maybe these entity attacks, judgments and these attacks, because I was able to clear them uh, after a few weeks and I've been mm. able to help other people with you know, ver various conditions, but not many because it's not like people come forward to me and say, hey, I need help with entity attachments, you know, because there's no understanding or awareness of it, you know. Yeah, and, and I think there's also the, the, the kind of, I, I think with, even just with talking about psychedelics at, or, or at least the experience of psychedelics at, at even a further low level, there's still, a, I think, a, a kind of a stigma around, it, it sounds crazy, you know, if, if you... If you went into work, say, one day and someone said, you know, what did you do last night? You described a psychedelic event. They, they, they would be like, call, get, get security <laughs> on the phone, get this guy out of here. Exactly. Well, that's so, the uh, other thing. That's the other thing, Rob. As soon as you start talking about entities, beings, uh, it's literally it's literally a cultural taboo in our society. You are literally considered crazy within our society. It's like you're breaking the fourth wall that's not supposed to be broken, and the little alarm bells are going off in your head in a way when you start talking about this because um, it's like we're not supposed to look beyond you know, a certain range. It's like the movie They Live. Have you seen that movie? I have seen that many times, yeah. <laughs> it's a literal documentary. And <laughs> it is, it's, it's, <laughs> it's when the guy puts on the glasses. It's like, mm. it's like, and then he sees the aliens, but the aliens see that he's seeing them. And that's when the trouble happens. And I think that's very metaphorical because I think that, you know, hey, if you're one of these people out there who are not seeing entities, you got to ask yourself, do you really want to put on those glasses? <laughs> well, yeah, because that's it. Once it's kind of revealed to you, and I think even within that movie, well, I think once he starts putting the glasses on, he starts getting like headaches, doesn't he, or nosebleeds or, or something. Uh, uh, it's 
it's having a, just the knowledge is having a kind of a, a toll on him. So yeah, it's, it's got a lot of layers to it, that movie. But, it, but it, it's interesting with the kind of, um, I think with the, the kind of the, the medical condition stuff to talk about, just, just for my own circumstances, I, mean, I, I have epilepsy. So I, oh, wow. when you talk, when you talk about the kind of the cluster headaches and the feeling of, you know, something having control over your body, which is going to result in something unpleasant. Oh, I get that sort of before, wow. before completely like losing control of my body. In a oh, wait. horrific. Sort of way. But I, 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 I think I would find it easier for, or at least the way I rationalize it is that as, as being a kind of a manifestation of trauma rather than being a sort of a, something that's possess, uh, kind of possessing me at that spot. Mm. But I, I I think, which is, but it's kind of interesting that, that that kind of language of possession, because you know, a lot of time you know, previously there there was a supernatural element attached to something around like epilepsy. It was either yeah. seen as like some divine, like within the oracle, like someone would would, mm. would have like this, or a, a sign of demonic possession. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I I I again, I, I would tend to lean towards that. That's that's something internal that I'm kind of. Unresolving around an external attack, but it, you know, again, that that's just kind of how I've rationalised it. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never actually thought about epilepsy as being something that could be an entity attack. I have seen epileptics have a fit, mm. and it's quite interesting. The ep- the shaking that epileptics going to can be quite violent. Yeah, and you know what? It, you know what it reminds me of as well. That kind of shaking it reminds me of the kind of Pentecostal uh, shaking that they go into. And also people do that in psychedelics. Like it can be good. The shaking that they go into can be very positive and there can be a lot of healing in it. But I understand with epileptics, it's it can be incredibly violent, you know. I'm not yeah. saying epilepsy is that because I haven't really thought about but I would be open to the idea that it could there could be some relationship here and that, that we there's definitely something that we don't understand because I mean I don't think there is much understanding about it but what it is and how it's caused is there yeah I mean it, it's, it's it is a funny one because I mean some people re- report um, almost like psychedelic euphoria before oh, having more yeah. of these, these seizures and yeah. certainly for myself when I come around even though it's I mean first of all I'm not trying to big up epilepsy it's horrible it's 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 one of the worst experiences you can have but when you come around from the experience even though you're in a lot of pain and soreness because it is extremely violent there is a feeling of a mental reset and i and i, and I believe from a medical perspective that is what is literally happening there is a kind of a mental rebooting mm. uh, as all this kind of extra activity dissipates mm. so yeah it's 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 kind of a uh, it's it's interesting, but uh, just, just as I think we just did, did a, 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 went down a, a side road. Yeah, just yeah, to, yeah. Just to kind of come back to the um, the kind of the spiritual bypassing sort of or toxic positivity aspect of it. Do you think this is something because I, from and this is something I think we've we've agreed on in, in, on, on previous topics. Um, not without going into too much details or naming any names, but there is there does seem to be a need within. And I think you highlighted it, particularly in Western culture, particularly in the US culture, I would say probably more than Europe, in that the need for psychedelics to be safe. It's got to be like mm. like safe. And I think the meaning of safe has been kind of 
bastardized somewhat in from because I, I would kind of interpret it as like it needs you need to be in a safe place, a place where you're not going to be disturbed, a place where what needs to happen can happen. Yeah, that's what, that's how I define safe. But but then I think this has been turned into kind of like no, the actual experience itself needs to be safe. Like if it's if it's going wrong, like you know, that's you know get get the trip killers out. Get you know you're like yeah. Get, get the soft toys. Get the trip killers. Like sort of don't don't yeah. go through it. And I think yeah. that's it's misfiring somewhat. I think that what what safe means and what it's like the, the kind of like the light and the fluffy. I'm just wondering what your take was on that. Yeah, well, I think there's different. There's a few things to unpack there. I think that when people, when you're talking about highly traumatized people, and when they're reliving their trauma, for example, like the guy who bit my arm, I was wearing three layers of clothes, and weeks later, I still have puncture wounds. You can see, you know, he just bit down as hard as he could. Um, so it wasn't really that safe for me, but <laughs> at the time, uh, but basically, yeah, I think, you know, psychedelics can bring up such powerful material, you know, and people can, they can bring up, um, you know, demonic en energies as well. Mm. You know, I've seen that even with MDMA, um, you know, I, I just did a podcast with a friend of mine who is an exorcist. And so he actually. And an exorcist is in like the, the movie. Like, like Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Just, just so checking. <laughs> he removes entities from people and, uh, people get to great alleviation from, um, you know, whatever's ailing them from from having these energies removed from them. And, you know, I don't think that many people are seriously possessed, but a lot of people have these issues, I would say. But, yeah, getting back to your, your question about SAFE, I don't know. I think that I think that psychedelics are so powerful. And like I said, they can open up all these doorways and gateways. And what I'm really concerned about in this kind of medicalized model, just as just as uh, there's this big meeting of psychedelic people in Davos in Switzerland at the moment, isn't there? Mm -hmm. you no, know, I think I'm just concerned that this about what I would consider this kind of Western arrogance. You know, we don't really understand psychedelics and how they work and what they do, what they do. The, the mainstream psychiatric perspective considers hallucinations them hallucinations, where someone like myself considers what happens is uh, valid information, mm. and valid communication and valid experiences, which is why they're so powerful. But I think going back to what I was saying, what I'm concerned about in this so-called psychedelic renaissance is as more and more people accessing psychedelics, more and more people are opening up these doorways to all these entities. And I can see a lot of potential carnage. You know, I can see a lot of potential difficulty. I can see, you know, some, some things, some potential sort of sabotage to occur there 
whereby mm. you are having, you know, unusual phenomena like possession and extremely unusual crazy behavior and cultish like behavior and tendencies and um, I'm seeing this is the biggest danger to the psychedelic renaissance right now. And um, I've experienced it in the underground. I mm. think the psychedelic underground is very messy at times. And there is a lot of this cultish behavior. There's a lot of, you know, people who are really not in their right mind, you know, and... Uh, it's all very concerning to sort of watch the convergence of the above ground mainstream with the underground. Um, have, you, have you got any sort of thoughts on how to combat that? Cause, I mean, I guess just to sort of be like devil's advocate, like somebody, you know, you, you yourself are your own sort of un part of that underground community. And yeah. then we've got, you know, people, I mean, there's certainly people I've talked about on this channel who I think are, um, you know, they've got their own sort of underground community. And I think what they're doing is very strange and sort of worth calling out and challenging some of their yeah. ideas but then but we are in a it, it is a an underground thing and i, I mean I, I would agree with what you're saying around it becoming uh, if it's the right word clinicalized or you know uh, just just completely moving it into the clinical space yes I don't think that's yes what, no it's not an alternative or any ideas well i'm at the moment, I'm basically, you know, previously I've been going, look, I'm a pioneer species. I'm just going to run for the heels and you guys can figure this out because it's not my business, you know. It's like, okay, I'm done, you know. Mm -hmm. Now I'm realizing I might have some sort of obligation to kind mm -hmm. of steer and help navigate people. So what I'm thinking about doing is really – uh, helping to train people to understand these dimensions we're talking about um, and uh, uh, facilitators, people who are conducting scientific research and uh, really just try and establish and inform people about the territory and the nature of the space and how they can how they can create a safe space because I think you know, ultimately, in terms of the ayahuasca world, I remember when I first started facilitating groups, people would say, oh, I would only do that with the shaman. You know, I mm. never do that with the white guy um, because the shaman is the one who's going to keep you safe from where the wild things are, creatures, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think in Australia over the last decade or so, we've had a lot of conversations and there's been conferences about, okay, what what is it to create safe space and how do we deal with these entities? So there's a bit of a conversation in Australia uh, mm. going on that's quite evolved, whereas that, that conversation hasn't seemed to have hit the US as much. I think this may be very much an underground conversation. Um but definitely, I would say, yeah, what we all need to be focused on collectively is, yeah, how do we ensure, you know, not just mental and ethical hygiene, but psychic, uh, emotional, spiritual hygiene as well, so that there yeah. is, like, the right kind of clarity and focus intent in this work. Um, because I think, yeah, the big concern for me is there's a lot of 
arrogance in this kind of psychological theatric model, which is really, it's like, aha, oh, we found these really powerful tools and all right, now let's get them to work and let's do some work, you know, but it's like, in terms of that paradigm, I'd say, hey guys, you might want to actually spend some time with people from indigenous cultures and understand mm -hmm their worldview and how they're working with it, you know, which I have done, not to a great degree, but I have done it. Um, and yeah. I think this medicalized model is often just, it's just completely discount. The shaman's nowhere to be seen. It's like, oh, that guy, no, he's just, he's deluded, he's tripping. That's just, mm -hmm. you know, we've moved on from that. You know, he's a pre-rational creature from a more primitive uh, uh, understanding of reality, you know, that. Yeah, the, the, the thing I found with the kind of the, the medical model, I was actually at a psychedelic conference in, in Switzerland a, a couple of weeks ago. And these, this was a lot of like research students and stuff talking about, uh, you know, the kind of the trials they're doing around, around things like MDMA and DMT and stuff. It was, it was fascinating to hear them talk about it. But the, the thing which even they identified is like, this cannot scale. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, if you you can get you know twenty five plus people in in a room as long as you've got you know, adequate facilitators and you can treat twenty five people, if you're going to have one person in a soft touch everything soft you know nerfed bedroom with sort of you know with with a doctor on hand and a nurse on hand, that's that's only going to be available for the ultra rich because it's just yeah. it, it just doesn't it's not going to create the kind of the group change through it the kind of you know the, the human collective so i think yeah. we've got to get back somehow to this kind of community model of yeah. psychedelics like, like what they have in, in south america yeah and i think that's where i think australia is kind of like taking the lead because from what i gather you guys have like really sort of gone into way to like find you know like plants your own plants that work within sort of australia which is sort of you know mm. creating sort of analogs and doing that whereas i think and not not to wail on any of our us viewers but a lot of there is just kind of like being imported it's like importing yeah. a chunk of culture in and perhaps missing the point somewhere yeah yeah well i think um uh i don't know if you know uh frederica merkel fisher She's based in name. Zurich. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she's based in Zurich. She's a German woman. And uh, I think she, she got in a bit, a bit of trouble recently. She did. Not recently, yeah, yeah. but some years ago, she did get busted. Mm -hmm. um, and she said I, she doesn't do, she only does groups with people because no one would be able to afford the one on one work. You know, yeah. it's just too expensive. I think the only way to scale it effectively is the group work you know yeah i mean the one-on-one -on -one work there are it, 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 it can be done but um it's it's much more cost effective much more scalable because we simply don't have enough people to have two therapists you know giving one person mdma I mean, it's going to be very expensive any way you swing it. So definitely, I suppose what I'm working with is how, the models that we use. How do we create new models? And on that front, one of the other things I think is interesting is you just can't do this work every day. You can't clock in at 9 a.m. and see three clients and give them psychedelics, one in each room, and... Uh, uh you would burn out very it's too intense yeah yeah the, the, the psychological burdens of, of 
people unloading that stuff yeah, would be. It's too much. You know, I, I think in terms of ayahuasca facilitation, I mean, I have done groups every week for a period of time, but you are completely cooked after a period of time doing that. It is intense. I would say from most facilitators do one once a month, once every two weeks, you just can't do much more than that without kind of frying yourself. It's too intense in a way that after I facilitate a group, it's like I'm recovering from a, you know, a minor bicycle accident. You feel yeah, that yeah. hang inside, you know. It's but very also, there's something that comes from the group collective, though, isn't there? I think I think there is like a kind of a group healing that that goes on. Um, yeah. or, you know, or just being in proximity to other people and even hearing other people work through their problems it gives you a ch sort of chance to reframe some of your things. I think this is why these kind of like these group sharing sessions are kind of so useful after a cycling because often I hear somebody's perspective on their experience and it gives mm. me a chance to reframe my own experience. So, yeah, I think to, to lose all this um, sort of... Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how things develop within the clinical space, but I, I'm hoping Absolutely. we get back to this more community thing. Mm. Uh, I, I'm conscious of every time, Julian, so I've got, I've got one more no, thing. No, 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 yeah, it's, it's 9.20 here, the night is young. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I wanted to, with, with all the things that we talked about, um, do you, like, is this across the board? Do you think, like, or, we've... we've mentioned a few times, you know, we've talked about DMT, we've talked about ayahuasca, it's kind of analogs. Like, what, what about somebody who's watching this, who's talking about taking like LSD at a music festival? Like, is, is this, uh, are they opening the same doors in your opinion? Or is there, a, well, first, I, I guess, let me, let me put this into two parts. Are, are, are all psychedelic substances equal in this regard? Or, and, or is it something like, uh, are, are there, ones which are more likely, which which are opening the door and ones which could be taken purely recreationally, let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, I think it's very interesting. We, we, th we talk about LSD and the phenomena of bad trips. Mm. And I think that very often uh, a bad trip is when there is some kind of temporary entity possession that mm -hmm. happens um, because... You know what is experiences in in like the the bad trip is often very it, it's inexplicable and I don't necessarily see that it's always healing or positive or it's just a it's just a you know an, a, a purging of negative psychological material. I'd say very often the the bad trip is an entity attack. And I've, mm. the last time I took LSD was in um, uh, in Tanzania, and I took 900 micrograms with a solid dose of peyote. <laughs> oh. Okay, you weren't messing around. <laughs> no, no, there's no reason. It was my fr I thought it was 600, but my friend is like, no, the 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 six drops of 150 mics, not 100 mics. <laughs> so. Um, and I took it with uh, three little peyote bowls as well. So it was very strong. And uh, and I started to go into the battles that I normally go into. And because the LSD is a little bit slow, unlike the tryptamines, which are quite fast, I was overcome and I wasn't able to defend myself properly. 
And so I effectively became possessed and went into very bad trip the rest of the session. I thought I was going to die. Um, you know, everything just goes really dark and there's all these crazy thoughts and, uh, you know, I thought I was never going to, to come back out of it. And that's, I think when I had that experience, I realized that, yeah, a lot of what I've called bad trips are very often, you know, some kind of temporary possession and not a, and I think some of these possessions can be permanent. You know, mm. people can take LSD and not come back. Uh, See, for, for myself, because I, I, I've I've never really, maybe it's just because I've not done in, enough of, of a deep enough dose with, it, with LSD, but for me, it's always felt like there was a kind of... Oh, sorry, that was just my doorbell. Just ignore that. <laughs> it, it, it always felt like there was some kind of division between something like LSD, which to me had a, has more of a... I don't know, uh, a sort of, for a better term, artificial feel to it. it. It's just a different, I don't quite get the same being communicated with from no. LSD as I do no. from something like, like sort of like mushrooms, something like that. But it's no. interesting that, because um, typically when, I think when, with a lot of people who I've seen having um, like bad trips on LSD are usually ones who are on fairly low doses. Um, and, but I, and I, I, tend, I tend to find this person myself with something like ayahuasca. Like if I sort of say lose my courage a bit and take a take a small cup, I'm more more likely because so you're much more than in your own head kind of thing. Whereas if you take the larger dose, then you just kind of pulled along for the for the narrative ride. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I was just I don't know. I, I I never had that that same feel with something like LSD, and I think you, you actually mentioned this in your post. But you think these things are kind of more or less equal, so whether it's like LSD or mescaline or or DMT, the sort the same possibilities of of encountering these entities are there. Oh yeah, the same possibility. Probably less so with mescaline because mm. people aren't taking the 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 the, the higher doses, but. You know, I think all psychedelics, they do open up these and they do lower your defences to these entities. And, uh, you know, and, and that's the other thing. Like, a lot of people are not going to experience any entities at all. Mm. Some people are not going to experience entities, but they're all going to be good entities, you know. Um, and and that's great. If you're one of those people, like, great. Um that's not how it's been for me. <laughs> do, do you think, because when we talk around entities, because I think you mentioned this at the beginning, like when you were kind of getting into it, there wasn't really talk of, you know, machine elves. And I, and I, I personally hate the phrase machine elves. Yeah. Um, but I think since the kind of like the birth of YouTube and the availability of people like Terence McKenna talking about these things, and that's kind of now been adopted into the language. And there's perhaps colouring what people are coming to expect from these things because it's they're now being sort of told you know machine elves machine elves machine elves mm. so that's what they see but i think and even the phrase that that's what they see i i would kind of like i don't tend to think of these things as necessarily as a purely visual phenomenon i think this ties into what, what you're saying around hallucination i think there's more to it than that that the way this could you can have like an emotional entity or a sort of like a a cycle it's not necessarily a visual thing that presents itself mm. in front of you no or, no i think yeah i think there's a definite 
feeling, I think, you know, the sense of the third eye, uh, the entities, you feel them uh, as much as you see them and you feel their the influence of their thoughts. So where I've come to in my life is I experiencing the entities in my daily life now. So mm. I can see them not as clearly as when on psychedelics, but um, I will see them quite regularly in my life. Um, so I see them all around us. Um, is, is this where someone will be telling you, you're doing too many drugs, Julian, this is you need to... <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one, I remember one time I was walking down Oxford Street in London mm. and I was, you, you, I don't know if you've had this feeling when you go out shopping and you kind of feel drained and a bit tired mm. and not so good. And I remember I had a lot going shopping with my mom and it was a really draining experience. And I had this feeling and it felt really yucky. And I was looking in Oxford Street and I, I saw these octopuses in the middle of Oxford Street with their long, like, tendrils which was stinging the people and then draining their energy as they were walking by. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did sopla on them, like, <laughs> and I immediately, that feeling, that drained kind of yucky uh, being stung feeling left me entirely, you know. Mm. So for me, these sorts of experiences are completely normal. I will, I will have these experiences. <clears throat> I might have an entity. I might start to have a little bit of a headache, and I'll be like, oh, what's that? All oh, right. There's some sort of entity. He's got his little fucking, like, proboscis or whatever it is inside my head, and I will torp him and kill him, and my headache will go away. Mm -hmm. So so from from your sort of data episode, these things are just around around everybody constantly and yeah. so it's more that when we're taking psychedelics we're sort of increasing that that's right increasing increasing their ability to control us i guess well yeah that's I mean this is why i i mean some of us are kind of going why why are they also why are the elite of this world so interested in psychedelics and it's like hmm if you sort of think of it from that perspective you're thinking in like the you know, the uh, the evil headquarters of the entities, they're like, right, we're going to use these psychedelics to assert our dominance and control over the species even more than we have. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? It, it there certainly that, that... could be that. There could be an aspect of that. Because you, you certainly see that, they're, 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 you know, even in Australia, in the media, I'm like, why are they so keen on psychedelics? It's suddenly gone from bad, bad, don't touch them, they're drugs, to like, hey, these are really good. Everyone should consider taking psychedelics. And now they're in Davos and uh, in the elite of our society, <coughs> you know, give, you know, like really interested now. So you really got to wonder about the agenda of the psychedelic renaissance and, you know, be quite skeptical, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I, you know, to, to be like sort of the devil's advocate, it could be, I mean, it genuinely could be that there's, you know, there's people just recognising that these things are just much more effective than some of the pharmaceutical solutions. It could be that, you know, maybe the pharmaceutical industries are seeing a way to, 
you know, make money out of these things. That's, you know, there's usually, you can usually find a driving force behind these. I'm not so sure that it doesn't, it doesn't seem to me like, um, because I mean, there's a lot of talk around the kind of like the conspiracy angle of like, like big farmers trying to keep people suppressed by keeping them on these things. So it doesn't make sense to me that there's uh a kind of a model the, that people could make the same kind of money out of psychedelics that they could make out of certain like things like opioids or things like that, things which are numbing people down. So maybe it is just like, I don't know, maybe there's people just recognizing you can be a more productive worker drone if you're happy and healthy. I don't know. I mean, there could be so many, so many levels to it. Yeah, I but, don't know. I'm a bit skeptical about how people are actually going to make money out of psychedelics unless they're creating new compounds i mean i don't know if there's great deal of money to be made just manufacturing mdma for psychotherapeutic functions i would say the real money to be made is in creating these kind of high-end retreat centers where i certainly know there are some people who've got their eye on that market you know well that's that's something i mean yeah let's get, get your take on that because I, I i've noticed certainly since i've you know been you know partaking in, in sort of retreats the prices have shifted fairly dramatically from from when i was first looking at going on to one of these things where i would say like the what was considered like the the, the elite like the, the upper luxury retreats were kind of like yeah you know, like two thousand dollars or something for a week and i was like oh that's a lot to know where i'm seeing like you know five six ten thousand dollar retreats and it's it's almost like there's a gentrification going on there where the sort of yeah, luxury retreats are being built um, and sort of catering, you know, with swimming pools and, you know, and sort of, yeah, five-star chefs being brought in and yeah. all, all this stuff. And I, I, my thought was like, like who, who are these for? Because this is, if the whole talker in the cycle renaissance is, yeah, let's have this group healing. Let's bring these things into the mainstream and let's have a group healing. And yeah, and and that cycle retreats are good, but it's going to cost you ten grand. Oh, it's going to cost yeah. you six grand. And mm. I, I was kind of there's a mismatch here going on. So yeah, I mean, I, I've just to go on a tangent because I actually put out a video last week around some of this stuff because one of the things I've been seeing popping up a lot is um, other ways of monetizing the cycle renaissance. The, the classic one is there's a lot of online courses that are appearing around. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll teach. I'll teach you this, or I'll teach. I'll here's how you. In, I'll, I'll teach you how to integrate for five hundred dollars or something. I'll yeah. teach you how to integrate your experiences, or or I will teach you even better. Like I will teach you how to become an integration coach or something yep. like that. Mm. And, you know these like thousand dollar courses. Yeah. So so that was something I've seen popping up. I was like. Oh, this kind of leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my stomach. But yeah, I mean, what, what's your own thought? I mean, it, like for things like retreats and or or, the, or this passing on knowledge, because I guess there's one part of I don't begrudge people making a living. You know, you know, particularly mm. if you someone's built a retreat center, and I I go to retreat centers. I believe in retreat centers, but I think there's a point where you're taking the piss. Yeah, <laughs> uh, with these things. What, what do you think? Like, what, yeah, I definitely find the idea that you're creating a kind of luxury retreat for ayahuasca a little bit off-putting because if you're doing it right, 
the experience is like the opposite of luxury, you know. It's like going to a Spartan boot camp and being <laughs> kind of like, you know, shouted at and screamed at and being told to fucking get your shit together. You're not being, you know, treated with silk gloves at all. It's actually quite intense and... So I'm a little bit sceptical about these sort of luxury retreats. Mm. But in terms of um, pricing, I think that, yeah, I think that possibly what's been happening is demand has been increasing and people who are actually really good at this, which there's not that many, I'd say it's possibly like 10% at the most are really quite good at this and it's like mechanics yeah good luck trying to find a good mechanic i mean it's hard it's like trying to find a good plumber a good psychologist i mean i have a i i, I know a gp he, he doesn't know any good gps he doesn't know any good doctors and he, he is a gp so it's like that trying to I, I, and I, I do this i don't know many people who are very good at it so I think the people who are good at it, maybe they have a right to charge an exorbitant amount of money. I just increase my, I, I, I increase my prices like I over, I double them and a little bit more because I just can't handle the amount of people coming to me, and I want to mm-hmm. work with smaller, more intimate spaces, and I want to improve the way I do this. And I think, you know, people in some sense, they should really put the money forward to have to, to, to do this, um, you know, like talking about mechanics, my car is being fixed at the moment and it's going to cost a lot of money to get it fixed and it's not a small job. And I consider ayahuasca's like maybe mm. it should cost as much as it costs to have like a lot of decent work done on your car, you know, and maybe that's maybe that's a good thing that it's it shouldn't just be something you do every weekend just for shits and giggles, you know. You really should take it seriously. Yeah, so. I think I think I saw something you'd you'd written recently where where you're you saying something like you you're going to introduce a model of bringing like for for every X number of places you would have sort of two free places or something like that's that. Right. Do, do you think yeah. that's like is that something you're you're implementing as as? Or? Yeah, I'm implementing that because. It already, with my old prices, students and single mothers and a lot of people just can't afford it, you know. Mm. And it it's not that, you know, just people who run their own businesses or whatever. It should be, you know, people who are doctors and dentists and whatever should be doing this. And, you know, it should be open to, to people who sincerely want to do this. And so I think, I think that is something that should be implemented uh, in this work because it is, if it's done right, I think, yeah, it's going to cost a lot and or a fair amount of money. It's already a fair amount of money most places in the world. And mm. some people just can't afford drinking ayahuasca. So, you know, I've made this thread which really took off on Facebook and a lot of other facilitators said, hey, look, I already do this. And I think it's a great idea that facilitators really pay it forward. And maybe it can be that some people who can, can pay it forward for other people who 
you know, they pay for people who maybe can't afford it. So yeah. I haven't quite implemented it myself, but I think that it's, uh, you know, with such powerful medicine, it needs, it's not that it, the government in Switzerland or Australia is presently paying for this. It's not presently paying for people's mental health and it, it's not accessible for everyone. And I think that it should be really. Yeah, I saw there were some interesting comments in that thread regarding sort of then people's commitment to what is happening because they haven't paid. And I, I, I think it was a valid point in that, like, if someone gets something for free, does are they as invested in it then as if they, say, had scrimped and saved? And it's it's a very fuzzy line, that, for me. I, I really... I, on, the, on the one hand, I, I totally... I think the... The kind of the pay it forward kind of um, method, for want of a better word, is like a really, a, a, at least the way it should be. But on the other hand, there is something around how much someone is committed to this rather than them just turning up for it. Is, yeah. And I suppose that comes then to then like, does it then become a kind of task to to triage these people and to vet them, which in itself can then becomes it, who, who needs it most kind of thing. It's, it seems like it gets can get quite tricky there. Is that something you've come up against? Or, or? I haven't got there yet. I think okay. the, for me, the whole thing is tricky and has been for a long time. <laughs> so the tricky just keeps just keeps going. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to wrap it up, Max. My, my kids are telling me that they need to come and get their lunch. And as I mentioned, this isn't a real camper van. The kitchen's just back there. So <laughs> well, uh, I think it's a good place to turn on. Just before we go, I mean, um, first of all, mate, th again, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, have a chat with me. It's always a pleasure to start you, Julian. Um, is there anywhere you want to point people towards if they want to find out more about your stuff or how yeah. to work with you? Just my website, julianpalmerism.com, and I've got workshops email list i got a writing email list and i've got uh a podcast as well revelations with julian palmer that's on every podcast app so yeah bring out one every month or so that's awesome. about it yeah well i'll leave a link in the description below uh yeah again awesome to talk to you and uh yeah keep doing what you're doing mate and i'll uh, I'll, uh, I'll look forward to reading more of your stuff online likewise thanks for the chat rob it's been really good yeah it's a pleasure Enjoyed mate it. all right take care julian bye bye